1: I'm Laura Briggs. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 321 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, Laura's talking with our very own legal tech advisor, Zach Glazer, about all things document automation. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nackley, Cosmolex, Text Expander, Postali, and ESQ.Marketing. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. So stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. Today, Laura, we have a pretty cool concept that we're going to introduce to our listeners where they can tell us what they want to know and hear on the podcast. Yeah, I'm excited about this because some people have reached out to me personally and said, hey, it would be great if you covered this. And we've posted in our Lawyerist Insiders Facebook group asking attorneys what kinds of topics would be most important to you. But Stephanie and I or Stephanie and Aaron or some other you know grouping of our staff and podcast hosts here can answer all kinds of questions. So if you have a short question that might be a good feature, we'd love to hear from you about that. Yeah, so you can go to go.lawyerist.com slash podcast request, and you can submit an idea or a question for a future show or a future introduction, and we'll check them out and we'll see if we can make it happen. Yeah. Let us know what is on your mind. And if we're not the experts to figure it out, we will try to find an expert in the field to do an interview with on a full episode. So now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Kim from Nackley, and then my conversation with Zach.
2: Hey y'all, it's Zach, the legal tech advisor at Lawyerist. With me again is Kim Mayberry of Nackley, and we're talking document automation. Kim, thanks for being with us today.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: Now, today's episode is all about document automation, and later Laura and I will be getting into discussing doc automation generally as it relates to law practice, but I thought it might be nice to use this time to introduce some doc automation concepts. And specifically, I'd like to dig into you know, the, the tiers of document assembly software, because I get asked all the time why somebody should use third-party software instead of you know, the document assembly that's built into their LPMS, or what level of software do they need? And this is a confusing place for people.
3: It is. And we've seen it as we've been out there talking to people um, about document automation. For us, we've actually divided it into the, there's basically kind of three tiers of document automation software out there. You know, the first tier, you get basic mail merge. Maybe a little bit of conditional logic, you know, what you might get with your Clio, mm-hmm. your Smokeball. Um, I, I put Lawyer kind of in that tier where you're g- getting just basic functionality. And then you get to tier two and you're getting some conditional logic. You get some lists. So, say I have children that I need to list out in the document or, mm-hmm. or something like that, you can do that. Certainly most of the tier two, you know, the idea of external intakes is taking hold. Oh, yeah. Most vendors now have that. Absolutely. Three years ago, it didn't exist, though. In the tier two, you might get a, what I would call an intake, a way to enter information that you can kind of do some simple things like hide and show, kind of guide the person through the interview.
2: Conditional formatting related to taking somebody's questions, taking somebody in, and maybe even determining whether or not somebody is, is a potential client or not, and just kind of conditional formatting in that intake area. Right.
3: So that kind of gives us the tier two. Then we get to the tier three, and we, we're getting into more complex logic. Mm-hmm. So I, I doing complex formulas, Doing what we call nested lists, and a nested list is if you have a loan agreement or so, something like that, where you have a company and you have people signing on behalf of that company, mm-hmm. and you might have multiple companies involved. That's when you need a nested list. Okay, and you know I've seen complexity in that area that they'll go four deep. You know, they'll have a company signing on behalf of a company, signing on behalf of a company, and then the actual person signing it. So, be able to do that. Be able to present lists of people like children to be able to say, I have two children that are minor, and one is an adult. Things like that, that we can start doing these calculations based on the size of the list mm-hmm. that becomes popular. Now, certainly, you know, if you were in a tier two environment, you would go through and just say, how many of these are, are minor children? Right. And you'd have to type in minor children. Right. Right. But we can start doing that stuff for you. So it's a little bit more no brainer that way. The other thing is, it's built to use people in different roles. Mm-hmm. So if you enter in your client, your spouse and your children or other parties or whatever it's a divorce, and you need to say, this person's going to be the executor, mm-hmm. you know, in a tier two environment, you're going to likely have to retype that person in that same spot to say that they're there. Well, in a tier three, we can reach back and say, all right, this is a list of people, I can just select from that list and all the data you can reuse data in different ways.
2: And that's a that's a data structure issue. How you're putting the data into the database that that you guys have. You can cheat it in the sense that you can retype in this this information, but you can't cheat that on the back end. You have to have built that data structure from from its base. Right. And I think that's something that people run into a lot of times is recognizing I can't get that variable out of my law practice management system because it is a contact instead of in the matter field or something like that. Right. And so having solid data structure and well thought out data structure is, you know, imperative in these situations.
3: Yeah, and having that data structure opens up the world that we can now actually query our data. Right. So we're actually working on this right now that because we have it in a structure that's usable, we're coming out with a thing called queries where I could actually go through and take all of my clients and create a report out of all my clients and say, these people have this condition in it. And so I could use that for marketing. I could use that for, that really opens the world here when you can start mining your data Because you have so much data available to you Mm -hmm. that has never been available to you.
2: I think that brings about really the base here is that it is a database that these document automation is built upon, as opposed to, you know, we're going in, you guys have come from a deep database and solid data structure standpoint, and that lets you do a lot more instead of saying, okay, what is the bare minimum we need in order to build a document? You say, what is all the information we need? How does it need to be structured? And then let's start building documents.
3: And we're the only ones out there doing that, even of the ones that have been out there for a while.
2: Right. It is a very, very deep database there. And we could talk about this for, for half an hour. I, I know we could, but you guys have more information on your your website about, you know, a document difficulty breakdown. And people can find that at knackley.io forward slash no limits, right?
3: Right. So if you'll go to our website, you can download it. And basically, it's going to give you a breakdown of the things that you need. It kind of breaks down the, each of the tiers, gives you a better understanding of that. And also so that you can understand, do you need a tier three solution? Do you need something like Nackly to help you get to where you want to go?
2: That's exactly right. And I think that's a lot of the questions sometimes is, where's the edge of what this software can do? And I think a list, a chart, something like this would be very helpful for people when they're looking for document automation software. Well, Kim, thanks again. As always, uh, it's fun talking document automation with you. I appreciate you being here.
3: Yeah, I always love these conversations. Thanks.
2: Hi, I'm Zach Glazer, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist.
1: Welcome to the show. Everyone is probably used to hearing your voice from speaking with a lot of our sponsors and doing the interviews that come right before the show. But I know you've also come on before as a guest. Today, we're talking all about document automation, and this is a loaded subject. There's so many questions about it. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start with a couple of mistakes? What do most lawyers get wrong with document automation?
2: I think most lawyers dive in too quickly they don't make a process map of what they actually want to get out of their document automation they wind up grabbing technology and saying how do i use this and learning on the go instead of having a process for creating their documents that is you know platform agnostic and then just looking for the technology that does that i'd say it's it's planning it's initial planning
1: how long should you expect to spend doing that initial planning? And do you recommend like going old school pen and paper? Is this something that you should map out visually on a computer before you try to find the right solution for you?
2: Obviously, it depends on your practice. If you're heavy document automation, then if you're a estate planner, for example, then you may wind up drawing out a lot of processes. But when I say planning, I don't necessarily mean you have to have everything planned out from the get-go but you need to plan before you work. Have a plan for each document as you go. And I drew things out and draw things out on an actual whiteboard in my office, but whatever works for you. Some people use Excel spreadsheets, some people use whiteboards, others use pen and paper. Just what, whatever works for your mind.
1: This feels like something where there's the upfront investment of your time, because I can hear some lawyers potentially saying, well, so i might have to invest the time of mapping out what this looks like or using that Excel spreadsheet. So I'm curious, how much time do you think that document automation can save attorneys when it's done
2: right? Short answer, a lot. So I think of this term aggregated marginal gains when I think of document automation, and that means that if I save myself one minute on each document that I do, and I do 60 documents a week, then I've saved myself an hour a week right there. It depends on how many times you do the document. So when I tell people to start, I usually say, start with the document you do the most, which most of the time is a retainer agreement. If you take in a lot of clients, you're going to save a lot of time right off the get-go.
1: That brings up an interesting point. Where is that line between it makes sense for me to try to automate this and I don't do it enough? I mean, you mentioned starting with the document that you create the most frequently. Is there a line or a rule around, you know, you should create these five or if it takes you this much time per month, you should certainly automate it. Other cases where it doesn't make sense to do that.
2: I think that's a really good slash loaded question. I start from this idea that efficiency is, is really more complicated than just automating something. Right. If you save your assistant that 60 minutes on creating documents, but they don't have anything else to do, are you really saving any money? I like to think of it in small little snippets, like, can I make this thing faster and what else would I be doing? So I don't even necessarily automate entire documents. It's pieces of them. So, for example, if I go to court a lot and I know that I'm going to have a caption on the top of every one of my pleadings, then I automate that caption. So now, instead of saying, well, I, I can't automate depositions," Zach, you can. Not 100%, but you can you can automate them partially.
1: So it sounds like in those cases it's worth... Putting in that upfront time, even if you're only automating a portion of that document, it would save you a certain amount of time every time that you had to pull that up and use the automated portion of it.
2: Yes, in a sense, yes, it's worth the time. In another answer, you've already done it, you've already created these things. Uh, Lawyers have boilerplate everywhere. And so, most of the time, if you're going to create a pleading, you go get a pleading that you already have, you grab the caption. Copy it, paste it. That same amount of time, you can create a template, generally, if you get fast enough. or So we're not really talking about a lot of upfront effort, except for some of the planning.
1: So it sounds like step one is figure out the things that you use most frequently. The second step is to map out that workflow or draw it out, write it out. Once you're at that point, do you recommend that people block this off and try to do one document at a time? Or do you just say like, set aside an entire workday and try to load in all of the things that you have to potentially be automated? What, what tends to work best?
2: Obviously, it depends on how you work. Technology implementation is a procrastinator's dream. It is this thing that feels productive. If you go in and you take an entire day building and building and building, you feel like you're productive, but did you actually get something out of it? So a lot of times I like to say, automate as you go. I have used this thing three times this week. Wouldn't it have been great if I could have just pushed a button and that came up your signature block, a certificate of service? A lot of things like that that you go, man, I use that a ton here. And you don't necessarily need document automation software for that. It can help, but you can create auto text boxes in Microsoft Word that will just, at the click of a button, put these, for lack of a better uh, way of thinking about it, souped up copy paste blocks into your document.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you brought up Microsoft Word because I think that's a question that I've heard from some of our lab members a lot. Well, can I get benefits out of document automation if I'm using Microsoft Word? Because it sounds like there may be certain things you can automate within Word itself, and then also things that can come from automation software, but you're the expert. So you tell me if that's completely wrong. I just know it's a common thing where lawyers have their way of doing things. They've done it this way for a long time. So if you're committed to using Word, what kind of benefits could you get with document automation?
2: Templates. The fastest thing you can do in Word is create templates of the documents that you have. Without knowing how to code or without having a basic idea or, or frankly, just wanting to, you're not going to get much conditional formatting out of it. But that's not usually what attorneys need right at the beginning. And then your templates can easily be imported into document automation software once you realize that you need that.
1: So are there... Lines around what software can and cannot do. I mean, this is obviously a piece of legal technology that is evolving all the time. There are new players in this space in terms of the software offerings. But right now, you know, we're recording this in the first quarter of 2021. What are some of the best features that have come out in document automation? And then what are some of the misconceptions where someone might think, oh, it it absolutely does this? This is a feature that's available, but it's not really the right fit for document automation.
2: With Microsoft Word, you can do pretty much anything that you can imagine. The difference or the difficulty there is that you need to know how to code. So underneath Microsoft Word is a lot of C++ coding. So you could, and this is why Microsoft Word is actually a very dangerous application to open up in a, an email because it can start running a lot of things on your computer. The real benefit of document automation software right now, like Knackly or Yaw or Documate or Afterpattern, is that you don't have to know how to code in order to get a lot of the same benefits. The big thing that you get out of this is really loops and if statements. And an if statement is just kind of what it sounds like. The computer comes across this statement It says, if this, then do this thing or else do this thing. And so you just wind up with these kind of A, B choices, and that's the most basic form of what you can do in document automation. But there are programs out there that can do pretty much anything. As you get more complex, you need to know more about actually coding software or applications.
1: That's a good distinction because if coding is not in your skill set, it's probably going to be very frustrating and not a good use of your time to go down that route. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll be talking about what you should really look for in a document automation solution.
2: Today's challenging and fluctuating business climate requires law firms to be flexible in the way they run their practice. Whether you're working remotely, in the office, or a combination of the two, you need to be able to work effectively and efficiently on the go at any time. That's why Cosmolex offers a cloud-based, total law practice management system with built-in compliance for trust and general legal accounting. With Cosmolex, you get everything you need to run your practice in one solution with 24-7 mobile access that's both secure and easy to use. You'll be able to stay on top of all your billable activities no matter where you are, and your clients will love the direct and secure communication in the client portal. The Cosmolex migration team will ensure all your data is moved into your new system safely and securely so your firm can be up and running in no time. To learn more about Cosmolex Total Law Practice Management System, visit Cosmolex.com forward slash lawyerist. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Get ahead of your productivity for the new year with easy to use cross-platform snippets. Text Expander makes quick work of mundane, repetitive tasks so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to needless text entry, spelling and grammar errors, and inconsistency in your messaging. When you use Text Expander, you can say the same thing, the right thing, in just a few keystrokes. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. These versatile snippets are better than copy and paste, and they're better than scripts and templates. They work across devices and platforms to allow you to maximize your efficiency while still customizing and personalizing your messages. So take your time back in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit TextExpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Support for today's episode comes from Postali, a full-service legal marketing agency for law firms. The attorney-client relationship is the cornerstone of the legal profession. Just like you put the client's needs first, you deserve a marketing agency that does the same to grow your practice. Postali works with law firms nationwide and is the only full-service legal marketing agency that can call itself a marketing fiduciary. That's because at Postali, the impressive results they achieve come from always putting your law firm's financial interests above their own. Imagine a relationship with a legal marketing agency that treats your investment as they would their own dollars, without hollow SEO promises, no commission based upselling, and who won't work with your competitors. Postali is the marketing agency for legal professionals looking for 100% transparency and genuine guidance from a real marketing partner. To learn more about the benefits of working with a marketing fiduciary, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist. Contact them for a free consult and mention this podcast. Support for today's episode comes from ESQ Marketing, an agency that believes in affordable and reliable marketing for solo practitioners and small law firms. With ESQ Marketing, you'll work with experts in legal marketing. All of their intense focus is on helping attorneys generate more clients and cases from the internet. They don't work with anyone else. You'll breathe easy with low-risk, month-to-month contracts, and there are no long-term commitments. ESQ Marketing earns the right to work for your firm each and every month. Best of all, you'll get direct access to the person working on your account, no account managers to deal with, and no lost in translation with your requests. To see if you're a fit, visit esq.marketing forward slash lawyerist to get started.
1: So we talked a little bit about what automation can and can't do and some of the distinctions there when someone is shopping around for the right document automation solution, what do you think are the most important features or factors they need to have in their mind? Because you already mentioned there's there's several great companies out there that do this. So how do you go about deciding what might be the best fit for your firm?
2: This is where having your your idea planned out comes into play. Because these pieces of software, they all do things slightly differently. But the big thing they do, like I said, is... Create a way of no code automation. The big difference between a lot of them is whether or not you can do a guided interview. And so, do you want to use this application to take in information? Do you want to use it to take in information and then automate something? Do you want to use it just for internal automation? Do you want to use it to let your clients just come onto your website and create a document themselves? So, Having a plan for how you want to use the the software is really the first step because that's the small differences between these pieces of software in, in the, the grand scheme.
1: So for those lawyers who already have a document automation solution, I know there's this concept in the world of software in terms of cost switching, right? So even if something you're using isn't a perfect solution the devil you know is better than the one you don't, and you at least have everything set up and semi-functioning in this one place. When do you make the call about Saying this isn't the right fit. This isn't meeting my needs anymore. I I want to take on the dangers of cost switching and move everything over to another document automation solution. Or maybe it's really not even that complicated to do it. And so I'm just sort of curious about your perspectives on picking one and then trying to decide should you ever switch from that.
2: I think this can actually be opened up to legal technology in general. I think this is a great question. I think this comes up for attorneys all the time. I generally tell people, as it relates to, let's say, law practice management software, the best piece of law practice management software you can use is the one that you already have your information in. Stick with the horse that you're on. You know, don't don't switch horses midstream, but you know you're going to get to a place, or, or there's potential to get to a place where you do need to switch horses. And that is when you see a specific thing that you need to be done that this piece of software does not do, and another piece of software does. That's that's it. D- don't switch software for a dream. Don't switch software on a, on a thought or a lark, or more likely, fear of missing out.
1: I see that come up a lot, and I imagine even across similar practice areas, but definitely across different ones, someone else's process and solution works really well for them but just because they're having a good experience with it and it automates, you know, 95% of what they need to do, that could be a totally different process and set of features from what you're looking for. And I think it's really easy to like the grass is always greener, right? Well, so-and-so is using this and they, they said that that seemed to work. Don't just jump on over there before doing what you're talking about with mapping out that process.
2: Absolutely. And one of the, the Bigger things to mapping the process out is connecting your technology to what processes your technology takes care of. So, for example, Lawmatics has pretty solid intake and does a good job of allowing you to create forms to, to take in information. If you have that, then you may not need document automation software that does that for you. So having a plan for what you wanna do and then knowing what it is that does those things is is very big as well.
1: So to go back to this concept of the switching costs, we talked earlier about when are you doing something enough where it makes sense to try to automate it versus just letting it go and be you know the document that you create three times a year and you just use your your best template or copy paste there. When it comes to switching, mm-hmm. is there an ideal pain point at which it is worth saying, okay, that feature will save us this many hours or this new thing will make it easier for the other employees on my team who help with this to use it. And so that's when we should consider switching because I imagine that's probably the hardest spot to be in when you're relatively happy with the solution you have, but this area is always evolving and new features and companies are coming out. So I just wonder, do you have any advice for people around that? How do you decide when it may be worth the switch?
2: What are your company goals? I think this actually gets broadly into what Lawyerist talks about when we're coaching is what are the goals for your company? Does this piece of software not work for something you're trying to do? And then it's likely that it's not going to work for your next step as well. If that's the case, absolutely switch. If this piece of software doesn't do something that you need it to do right now, but they are going to innovate into that, then maybe just kind of stick it out for a minute. For example, Yaw doesn't have guided interviews, but that's likely not a reason to not use LawYaw or to move away from LawYaw right now because it's not something that is very difficult to innovate into. So that, that may not be a pain point that you want to jump ship on. But if you were to see that this was a piece of software that is just not innovating, and I, I hate to use this as an example, but Docsera is a piece of software that a lot of people use to automate their Word documents. And it, it works very well. It's something that makes a lot of sense to a lot of people, but it's not cloud-based. It's not innovating. It's not really building right now. So once you see something wrong with it, it may be time to move past it.
1: That's a really good point that I hadn't thought about because that is really where the companies are customer focused. They're listening to the feedback, they're fixing bugs, they're seeing what other people are innovating in this space, and they're using that in their own R&D to figure out how do we make this better for the attorneys and firms who are using this? Because I think that gets back to this idea of the solution is kind of set up as a set it and forget it. And if you don't like the way we do it too bad, Right, that could become a problem, particularly if you have Newer people who are coming into the firm who are more familiar with some of the more advanced or iterative technology, too. That can be kind of frustrating to work on something that that feels dated or you're voicing your request to customer support or saying this feature would be really great. And they are never responding to you or innovating on that.
2: I think that's exactly right. And it comes down to, to I think, trust and the customer-client relationship there? Do you think that they're going to get this done? Do you think that this is a company that is going to respond to that? The companies that are in the document automation space right now are not massive amazon.com companies. You can get a hold of all of these people. You can get a hold of all of their their customer service. And if you can't, well, then maybe think differently. But all of the people, certainly all of the ones that are on Lawyerist website that we've reviewed. You can get a hold of them and and see how you feel about them. Do you feel that they're going the direction that you need to go? Because, And that's not even a, that's a bad company or they're not doing something right, but do they fit for you? And if they don't fit for you and if they're not going to fit for you in the future, then it's probably better to change now than it is to change later.
1: That brings up a good concept of how important is that customer support or tutorials or educational articles with screenshots? Do you feel that that's something that a document automation company has to have in some format to give attorneys that peace of mind of what if I make a mistake or what if I can't figure out how to do something, right? Because even if you're very tech savvy, it's, it's going to be a new solution for you the very first time that you set this up. So how important is the kind of information that the company provides to you to help with that.
2: I don't think that the importance of that can be overstated. And I think how important is it for attorneys to provide information like that to their clients? We're trying to provide education to our clients because they want to know what's on the other side of the door. They want to know how this is going to work. But with document automation especially, the documentation is something I always look for when looking at these programs. You look at the videos that LawYaw has, you look at the, the tutorials that Afterpattern has and Nackley has and, and Document. All of these companies have a lot of information on how to build this stuff and they're building that information as we speak. They're making it bigger and making it bigger, but I think it's an absolute necessity as opposed to some other software that we already kind of know how to use or that there's a lot of third-party information. Microsoft Word, although Microsoft has amazing documentation, Microsoft Word has a lot of third-party documentation out there as well. So I wouldn't be quite as worried about not having customer-centric documentation from them.
1: Yeah. So that's another part of your research process to do as well. See what kind of documentation is out there for the company. How recent is it? How frequently is it coming out? Is it coming out in a format that you can use? For example, if it's a 60 minute video and you know you're not going to sit through that, do they have an alternative option for you to get that in a step-by-step screenshot, blog post, or a PDF? Because then it also takes the pressure off of you personally needing to be the expert as the chief lawyer in the firm, that's something where other team members can bring themselves up to speed with that kind of documentation as well or work through obstacles.
2: That's exactly right, because I I say there's actually two parts to document automation. There's the creation of the document, which most attorneys have already done. The creation of the lease or the no contest divorce papers or something like that. And then there's the automation of it. There's taking that document putting it into template format or putting it into one of these pieces of document automation software. And that part doesn't have to be done by a lawyer. Now creating the intellectual property, creating the document most likely does need to be done by the lawyer, or at least they're going to be more comfortable. And so you want to support your own team as best you can. So have that that documentation there.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was curious about to what extent do you involve employees or team members in this process? So you have those guardrails in place of you've created the template and you've reviewed the document and final proofed it before it went out. But like which pieces of that process you can pull out and give to employees, I think is, is a really valuable one.
2: And I think you can pull out the automation. I think you can rely on an employee to know more about the software you're using than you know. But obviously, hopefully, you're going to know more about the law than they will.
1: So you're super tech savvy, not everyone listening to this podcast would describe themselves that way. I would not describe myself that way (laughs) either. (laughs) What is the user experience like of document automation as it stands today in 2021? Is it relatively easy to do? I I think that's a common barrier for a lot of people is, yeah, it might save me some time, but just just the setup of moving my things into this feels like it could be a burden or I'll set it up wrong, or it's only for people who are really technically proficient. You see and work with these softwares all the time and and review it. So can you speak a little bit to what the user experience is like? Are Are there misconceptions around it or is it difficult?
2: The user experience is actually very good, I think, across the board. At the end of the day, that's what these document automation platforms are selling. They're selling no code solutions. And if I wanted to have to think too much about what's going on here, I'd just code it myself. So they approach it from different perspectives a lot of times. So with after pattern, you're creating the mechanism and creating the variables and all that in a, an application in the browser. And that works very well. Some people aren't necessarily going to get that. It's just not going to click for their brain. With Law Yaw and Nackley, they have add-ins into Microsoft Word, and you can get the variables out of this add-in. And so you're working in Microsoft Word, and so it's a lot more comfortable to some people both of those ways have their benefits and detriments. But I think they're, given the documentation that these companies put out, I think that it's something that a lot of people would feel reasonably comfortable diving into, especially if you start with a very simple document. Again, a very simple document is just your your onboarding documents, you know, your your contract to bring somebody in. Because it's it's the same, it's boilerplate everywhere, and all you're replacing is the name of the client maybe the amount they're going to pay, maybe the date. And that's reasonably simple.
1: So there are no excuses to skip out on doing your document automation. There's lots of solutions out there, and our website has Excellent reviews and thorough information about all of the features that these different companies have. Because what I'm taking away from what you just said is the importance of knowing yourself and how you need to work, how you need to learn, what this is going to look like in the day to day of your firm. If you're not the only person using it, what are the preferences of other people who are going to be touching this software? Is it a good experience for them? So check out our page that goes through all of the different document automation services that we've reviewed. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Well, Zach, thanks so much. You're always a wealth of knowledge on tech stuff, and I know this is such a hot topic.
2: Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Christopher Eng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read The Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by their participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.